All right, our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 88. You can follow along as I read in the handout. Hopefully you grabbed one when you came in. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim with sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes up before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companion. Let's pray. Those words are harrowing, God. The cries of a man who to see you, who wants to know you, and yet you are silent and distant from him. And so, Lord, this morning, I know that there are those here that feel the same way. And so remind us that these, first of all, are your words to us. You gave us these words because you know our hearts and you know what it is like to be rejected and disobeyed and forgotten and distanced. So, Spirit, be with us this morning. We need your help. Otherwise, we're gonna get distracted and we're gonna get confused. Show us through these words the beauty of Christ and the beauty of your heart towards us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. We come to a part of lament that is easily the hardest part of lament. It is the most depressing part of lament, the most discouraging part of lament, and the most real part 
of lament. We've defined lament as a deep, groaning prayer to God, expressing our deep sorrow. We've looked at different elements of lament, the first being calling out to God in his name, calling upon his character as a refuge and as a rescuer and as a redeemer. Another aspect of lament is calling upon his faithfulness. You've been faithful in the past. God, be faithful now. We complain to God. We have looked at what it looks like to be a faithful complainer to God, humble, honest, and hopeful, and that we are to confess our sins to God and to claim our innocence by asking God to search us and then to submit to his plan. But what does it look like when you do all that And yet there's crickets. When you've called to God over and over again, when you look at this life and the situation you are in, and there is no hope. You don't see God, you don't, and meaningless. In this what happens when nothing brings you comfort? When your lament hits the ceiling, when God feels distant and your life looks and feels like the end of Psalm 88. My only friend is darkness. Then what do you do? Hundreds of years ago, a Spanish Catholic priest by the name of St. John of the Cross called this season of life the dark night of the soul. Not like dark night, like Christopher Nolan dark night, as in like day and night. The dark night of the soul is a season in your life where you don't feel peace, comfort, or meaning in anything, neither in this world or in God. The dark night of the soul is so much more than just getting home after a really rough day at work and all you want to do is watch Netflix and eat some ice cream and you look in the freezer, there's no ice cream. You turn on Netflix, there's nothing to watch. There's no God. That's not the dark night of the soul. A dark night of the soul is this deep unrest in your life that nothing can satisfy. You are searching, but you are not finding any hope. The dark night of the soul is when God's presence is seemingly gone, when you feel completely untethered and floating. The psalmist calls it like a zombie. Psalm 88 is the cry of a man who is in the middle of the dark night of the soul. But like I said in my prayer, these are first God's words to this man. He laid these words on his heart because in these words, God reveals his heart for his people in the dark night of the soul. The man who wrote this psalm was a very well-known Israelite. His name was Heman. And Heman is mentioned throughout the Bible, but specifically in 1 Chronicles 25. And there we learn that Heman is a very talented man. He's a musician. He's very faithful. He's faithful to God, and he's faithful to King David. He's very successful, and he's very wise. He has everything going for him. Yet this psalm is written by a man who has hit rock bottom and heading down 
Nothing in his life satisfies him. Let's look at the psalm. Look at it with me. With me. Um, that's why we wanted to print it out. Make sure you had it so you can kind of keep your eyeballs on this. You can kind of see this pain, this anguish. Verse 1, day and night I am crying out to you. This is an all-consuming situation that this man is in. We don't know what he is in, but it's all-consuming day and night. Verse 3, his soul is full of troubles. Now, in our Western thought, we separate the body and the soul. But in Hebrew, in the Hebrew um, culture and in the Bible, the body and soul are connected. And so as he is feeling physical pain, he is feeling spiritual pain. As he is feeling spiritual pain, he is feeling physical pain. Verse 4 and 5, he's a zombie. He's just going through the motions without any emotions like a dead man walking. Verse six and seven, look what he says. You've done this. He turns it back to God. You have caused this. You have done this to me. You were causing this dark night of the soul. And he says it's like waves. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean and you got caught in a wave and then another wave came and another wave came and you can't get out and you're disoriented. That's what he's saying. And then he ends with Selah. What does Selah mean? Now you think about that, this darkness. He picks it back up in verse eight, frantically. He goes back to God and he says, you've done this. You have caused loneliness and isolation and desperation. Verse nine, do you even care about me? Are you going to do anything? My hands are out. Selah. Verse 11 and 12, where is your love? He now calls upon God's character. Where is your love? Where's your faithfulness? Where's your wonders? Where's your righteousness? Because I'm in hell. He can't see and he cannot feel God. God's presence is seemingly gone. Verse 13 through 17, things just get worse. Just like the song that we just sang, I asked the Lord, in there, it seems you ask the Lord for peace and for grace, and God gives you nothing but ashes. It's getting worse. And he seems like he's more distant than ever. And then in verse 18, he sums it all up. This song doesn't have a happy ever after. This song ends the exact opposite, going deeper into the cave. My only friend is darkness. The dark night of the soul is a desperate, lonely longing for God. It is head in hands. Where are you? But I want you to see one thing up front. Heman is not talking to his friends about this. Fix his situation. He's talking to the only one, if there's ever a hope, it's gonna be in God. And so he goes to God. He sees that God is doing this to him. God is causing all these things to happen to him. Now this might be a place that for you and I, we have a problem in believing this. Because we have this belief that God only wants good things for us. And we define good in our terms. So only happy things. And when suffering happens, we say, well, God doesn't want that. He doesn't want that in your life. But that's not what Heman is saying. Heman's saying, all of this is coming from God. The dark night of the soul is coming from God. 
He is saying the exact opposite. He is saying the good, the bad, the ugly, it all comes from God. And this is where I think Psalm 88 and the dark night of the soul helps us. Because we wonder, why would God bring such a faithful, talented, wise man like Heman into this? Why would he bring you into this? Why are you in a dark night of the soul? And some of you are. Some of you have come out of it. Some of you are going into it. Why? Because God cares more about your heart and his relationship with you than you do. Let me say that again. Dark night of the soul comes because God cares more about your heart and his relationship with you than you do. Throughout the Bible, there are these hard statements of how God works. Words like this, wilderness, winter, and pruning. Jesus talks about that. God takes people into the wilderness to show that he is faithful. God brings people into places of winter. Some of you are gardeners. You know what pruning is. You've got to cut it all back. And that hurts in order to produce fruit because God cares about a relationship with you. God is not satisfied with you being satisfied in this world. That is what a dark night of the soul is all about. It is God freeing you from all the things that you think about him and about what he's supposed to give you. It frees you from the lies that... The dark night of the soul is God showing you he's not a vending machine. He's a father. He's a savior. The dark night of the soul is God's way of bringing you into a closer relationship with him. How does he do that? Does it in four ways. He first confronts our doing. St. John of the Cross talks in his book, A Dark Night of the Soul, that when you become a Christian, you very quickly become busy about doing. I've heard it this way. Somebody sitting in church, or somebody uh, becomes a Christian, and they're invited to church, and they're sitting in church, maybe the first time, and they're like, man, this is so weird. What are these people doing? Up and down, up and down, singing, praying. What's going on? Giving their money. I don't know what's happening. And somebody turns around and says, hey, are you new here? And they say, yeah, I'm new. And they say, hey, you should join my Bible study. And the first plate starts spinning. Then they say, at the Bible study, they say, you know, they meet somebody else, and somebody else says, you should join my small group. And now the second plate starts spinning. And then they say, you know what we're doing on on the weekend? We're going to do an outreach in our community. You should come to that. Now the third plate is spinning. Now it's three days of the week that somebody is doing stuff in the church, and they got to go to church on Sunday. Well, then you have missions trips, and you have service projects. You've got men's group. You've got women's group. Before you know it, a Christian is busy doing instead of being. The dark night of the soul confronts our doing, confronts our busyness. All of those things I said are good things, but it's easy to become self-deceived, and we start to think that all the stuff we do for God means he loves us more. We can earn his love and earn his grace, and the whole time we miss the heart of God. Jesus talks about this in Mark 7. He confronts the religious leaders. He confronts men like me. Are meaning 
And he says, all of those religious traditions you do are meaningless because you miss the reason. You're busy using your religion to justify your actions. And in that self-deceit, you are missing God. The dark night of the soul, the reason why you are going through a dark night of the soul is confronting your doing by making your religious efforts empty. This is when... Maybe some of you have felt this. You church and you're like, I do not want to be here. When you find out every excuse not to go to small group, because frankly, you're just tired of those people. It's when you serve and you feel completely useless. The Psalms says, it's when you read the Bible and you're, this is just like ashes. In fact, you don't even open it up because it makes no sense to you. Who gives a rip? The dark night of the soul makes your prayers hit the ceiling. Just like the psalmist is saying, I'm crying out to you. Where are you? In the dark night of the soul, our religious efforts are empty because God is telling you he doesn't want your Bible study. He doesn't want your morning devotions. He doesn't want your prayers before a meal, your prayers before you go to bed. God doesn't want any of that. In Joel 2.12, he says, I don't want your burnt sacrifices. I want your heart. I don't want to be number one in your life because when you're number one, then you just get rid of number one, right? The first thing I do is I, I pray to God and then that's done and now I go on to number two. The dark night of the soul, God says, I want to be the center of your life. I want you to orbit around me. The dark night of the soul confronts our religious activity and brings us to a place where it's empty because God doesn't want your doing. He wants your being. And as God confronts us in the dark night, he brings us into a deeper relationship with himself. The second thing the dark night of the soul does, it refines your faith. The first is it confronts your doing. The second is it confronts refines your faith. In this psalm, we see over and over again that Haman is feeling something that doesn't jive with how he thinks he should feel. Why do I feel so lonely? I feel so lost. I feel so dead. Early in the Bible, God reveals his name as Yahweh, and Yahweh means hased, and hased means loving kindness. Where is this loving, kind God? Look at verses 11 and 12 again with me. He says, where's your steadfast love? Where's your faithfulness? Where's your wonders? Where's your righteousness? Heman is picking up on this. He doesn't feel it. You get this, right? You understand this. I get this. We understand this. We think that God should be acting a certain way, and therefore I should be feeling a certain way. And when I don't feel that certain way, then God's not acting right. Being a Christian, though, is not just living on the mountaintop. Many times the Christian life is in the valley. It's hard. But hard things are hard. Hard things are not bad. And the key to living in the valley, because you cannot see, right? On the mountaintop, you can see. In the valley, you can't. So in the valley, God is refining your faith. 
because we live by faith and not by feelings. By sight, the dark night of the soul is God refining your faith by detaching your wrong feelings. I heard this statement this week, attachment is not closeness. You can be attached to somebody, but not close to somebody. We see it all the time in marriages. Over time, the person is attached to the other person. They become attached. They create a relationship that is codependent, but they're not close. They don't know or are known In the dark night of the soul, God is liberating you. He's freeing you from your unhealthy attachment to him by refining your faith and realigning your feelings. He's saying, I'm not a vending machine. I know I've said that a lot during this lament. God is not a vending machine that is supposed to dispense to you good times and good vibes He is the God of the universe who created all things with his words, and he wants you. He wants a relationship with you. The dark night of the soul is God refining your faith by detaching us from our unhealthy, wrong, and misguided feelings and creating a closeness to him. Dark night of the soul confronts our doing. Dark night of the soul refines our faith. And the dark night of the soul strips us of control. Look at the psalm again. Look at all the times in verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8. You've done this. Why are you doing this? You've caused this. When we experience everything falling apart, we are reminded that we are not in control. And the more you try to hold on to things, try try to get control back, the worse it gets. My favorite illustration of this is in Finding Nemo. How many of you kids have seen Finding Nemo? How many adults have seen Finding Nemo? You should watch it. It's great. There's a scene in Finding Nemo where Dory and Marlin are been eaten up by a whale. And this whale is traveling along. And remember, Dory is speaking whale. She's not speaking Welsh, okay? That's something different. She's speaking whale. And she's, and then the whale is talking back to her. And they're in this belly of the whale. And there's a point where the whale groans out. And Dory says, okay. And Marlon says, well, what did she say? Or what did it say? And Dory said, it said, let go. And Marlon said, are you crazy letting let go? And Dory said, it's the only way out. And Marlon said, but how do you know something bad's not going to happen? What does Dory say? She said, I don't. And she lets go. From them letting go, as you might know, Spoiler alert, they're shot through the bullhole of the whale and they're free. But have you experienced this in life? Have you experienced that the more you seek control on a situation, on a relationship, on yourself, the more out of control it gets? The dark night of the soul reveals that you are not in control, but God is. 
is a very hard thing for us because in our doing, in our busy lives, we feel like we are and should be in control. And this is another place that we are self-deceived. And the dark night of the soul reveals to you when you are feeling like everything is out of control, God, where are you? He's exactly where he's always been, sitting on his throne in control of all things, working everything for his glory and for your good. And the dark night of the soul reveals that reality, that you are totally out of control, and he is totally in control. Again, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is always saying crazy things. Have you ever, like, read the gospel? I encourage you to read the book of John. He's saying crazy things all the time. And he says this paradigm of life, and he says, if you want to gain everything, you got to lose everything. You want to live, you've got to die. He says a, plant, a seed has to be buried in the ground and it has to die in order for it to live and produce fruit. He says you have to deny yourself and then you get everything that you truly want. He says you have to let go of this world in order to get this world. And then he says this, you have to give up your desire to be God in order to obtain God. This paradigm is impossible without God's help. Therefore, the dark night of the soul is God helping you in his grace and in his mercy because he is disrupting your plans and setting you on the right path. My friends, in the dark night of the soul, God is stripping you of control and you have to let that go. You have to even let go your idea of God so that you can find the real God. And that's the whole point of Dark Night of the Soul, is that God wants a real relationship with you. As I studied Psalm 88 this week, I was reminded that context is everything. That's why I had us read Psalm 87 and 89, because 87, and I know this is gonna blow you guys' mind, it comes right before 88, 89 comes right after 88, but there's a reason why it's set up that way. Psalm 87, if you remember, it keeps talking about being born, that we are God's children. Who you are is God's children. Psalm 89 talks about God's steadfast love, whose you are, a God who loves you. We belong to one whose love is steadfast to you. Context is everything because in the middle of this who you are, there's these questions, who am I? The dark night of the soul that you are experiencing is actually reminding you of who you are and that you are not alone. That you are God's child. You are the object of his love. And he is drawing you closer to himself by stripping you down, by confronting your doing and stripping it down, by confronting your pride and stripping it down, by refining your faith back together. This past Christmas, I was telling, I was telling a friend of mine about this this week. And some of you can see it, some of you can't, but my daughter, Emma, beautiful Emma, painted this picture for me. I'm going to put it up here, and you can look at it after the service. And this painting is the painting of a very dark black heart. 
But if you look closely, there's all these veins in it of gold. And as you can see, there are flowers coming out of this dark heart. Because this is what the dark night of the soul produces. A heart that is put back together by the love of God. And a heart that can produce true fruit, flowers that are beautiful, that point to God. How does he put our hearts back together? Two ways that God puts our hearts back together during a dark night of the soul. The first is through people. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Psalm 89, and there's this beautiful little inscription there, and it says, Ethan the Ezraite. Ethan the Ezraite is Heman's brother. And I have to believe, I have to believe that he is watching his brother go through hell. And so he writes this song that says, remember the steadfast love of the Lord is forever. That is your foundation. The way that God puts hearts back together is in community. This is why this church exists, is for the one another's. So that as we watch our brothers and sisters go through a dark, they got nothing for the, the dark night of the soul that says, don't go to church. Those people are hypocrites. They got nothing for you. Don't go to church. God is meaningless. Who even knows if he exists? The dark night of the soul that wants to drive you into despair. God is saying, get back with your people. And then let your people speak words of life to you. That only comes when we go through dark nights of the soul. When we have experienced that sadness and despair. In the dark night of the soul, everything tells you to retreat from community, but you need to be around God's people. I love this line. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. And we must remind one another as we put hearts back together. The second way that God puts hearts back together is in verse one of this passage. Oh, God puts broken hearts that come through, and you have to go through the dark night of the soul, and he puts them back together through his salvation. What is his salvation? His salvation is his son, Jesus Christ. Perfect and holy, who came to earth and was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life. He is the one that felt affliction in verse 15, affliction and close to death from youth up because he knew what he had to do at cross and as darkness surrounded him. He speaks those words, those words of life to you and me. It is finished. So that even in your dark night of the soul, it's not the end of the story. Because we know that through Christ's resurrection, he pushes back that darkness. And now there is new life. And so now our dark night of the soul produces those flowers, that new life. Friends, are you in the dark night of a soul? Turn to Jesus. See how he lived. See how he died. See how he rose again. 
and let that cast out the darkness and give you hope. This is where we come to push back the darkness at the table. Let's do that now. Lord God, as we come to the table, we need the light of your grace to shine on us because many in this room have experienced, are experiencing, are heading into the dark night of the soul. So come, be with us at this feast. Remind us that it's just a taste of what's coming and push back the darkness. Amen.